Welcome to the Fastest Five Minutes presented by Kroll and Mooring. We are your co-hosts for this edition, Peter Ayer, and I'm joined by my partner, Olivia Lynch, and together we are bringing you a bi-weekly summary of significant government contracts, legal and regulatory developments that no government contracts lawyer or executive should be without. We start with an update on Executive Order 13950, titled Executive Order on Combating Race and Sex Stereotyping. We've talked about this before on the podcast. On January 6th of 2021, DOD issued a class deviation, effective immediately, to implement the nationwide court order in joining implementation of sections four and five of that order. Under the class deviation, the contracting officers are directed to take all steps necessary to ensure that the enjoined sections, which would include a November class deviation implementing the executive order, are no longer implemented or enforced and are inoperable. In addition, OFCCP, that's the Office of Federal Contract Compliance Programs, announced that it will no longer be implementing, enforcing, or effectuating that executive order. Among other things, OFCCP said that it will cease using any hotline to collect information about alleged noncompliance. It will not publish any additional requests for information seeking data or information about compliant or noncompliant training, and it will not enforce any of the provisions required by Section 4 of the executive order. So quite a change from where we were a couple of months ago when this executive order came out and when DOD issued its class deviation. Olivia, over to you for a protest update and some other items. Sure. So at the end of December, the Government Accountability Office released its annual report regarding protest filings for the fiscal year 2020. Some of the key data points was that no federal agency failed to fully implement GAO's recommendations during the past fiscal year. GAO met its statutory deadline of 100 days to resolve all protest filings. With respect to volume, the GAO reviewed 2,149 protests, which is 2% fewer than the number received and reviewed in fiscal year 2019. With respect to the sustain rate, the GAO sustained 15% of the protests, but if you look at all cases in which the protester received some form of relief, that percentage is at 51%. And GAO reports that the most common grounds for sustained protests included unreasonable technical evaluation, flawed solicitations, unreasonable cost or price evaluation, and unreasonable past performance evaluation. So turning to IP issues, on December 21st, 2020, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Federal Circuit held that contractors may include restrictive markings on unlimited rights technical data as long as those markings do not restrict government's rights to that technical data. As is relevant to the decision, Boeing had entered into two contracts with the Air Force, both of which included the DFARS Clause 252-227-7013, rights and technical data for non-commercial items, and Boeing was required to deliver certain technical data to the Air Force with unlimited rights. Boeing had nonetheless marked that technical data with a legend that restricted third parties' use of the data. The Air Force rejected Boeing's legend and the CO issued a final determination asserting that the legend was non-conforming because it was not in the format authorized by the DFARS clause. So Boeing appealed that decision to the ASBCA arguing that the relevant section relied on by the Air Force 
is not applicable to legends like Boeing's that only restrict the rights of third parties and not the rights of the government. The board disagreed, holding that only the four legends that are prescribed in subsection 7013F of the Deforest Clause are authorized and any other legends are non-conforming. Boeing appealed that decision to the Federal Circuit where the court reversed the board's decision, finding that the portion of subsection 7013F that speaks to markings must be read in context with the first sentence, providing that the contractor may only assert restrictions on the government's rights by marking the data. So the board ruled that 7013F authorizes the use of certain restrictive markings for the purposes of restricting the government's rights, but markings that do not restrict the government's rights are not prohibited. The case has now been remanded back to the board to resolve some factual disputes. Thanks, Livia. So now we turn to section 3610, and here's a little bit of context and then the update. On December 27th, President Trump signed a combined COVID relief and omnibus spending bill. The Consolidated Appropriations Act, which funds the federal government for fiscal year 2021 and includes a variety of COVID-19 related relief measures, there are a lot of provisions there, including PPP funding, other stimulus mechanisms, and Kroll has issued a lengthy alert on this. But of particular interest to contractors is section 1002, of that omnibus bill. That section essentially extends the period of reimbursement for section 3610 of the CARES Act. That provision allows federal agencies to use funds to reimburse contractors for paid leave made to employees who are unable to access work sites and unable to telework during the pandemic. The initial reimbursement cutoff of September 30th, 2020 was previously extended until December 11th of 2020. This act now further extends the period until March 31st, 2021, allowing agencies discretion to continue to provide contractors with relief under Section 3610. There are also a notable development as it relates to the National Defense Authorization Act. So here's the setup for that. On December 11th, Congress presented to President Trump the National Defense Authorization Act for FY 2021. On December 23rd, he vetoed it. And then subsequently, the House and Senate voted to override. So now the NDAA is in effect, and there are a lot of substantive provisions here. Many of them require regulatory action for implementation, but we want to take a few minutes to highlight some of those key provisions. We'll be issuing an alert shortly with these provisions and also some of the other ones. And we turn to small business matters first. And Olivia, over to you. Sure. So Section 862 transfers and consolidates the certification of SDVOSB and VOSB businesses from Veterans Affairs to the Small Business Administration. This section also phases out self-certification of SDVOSB status for the purposes of federal-wide contracting and instead replaces it with a requirement for affirmative certification by the SBA. So Section 863 lengthens the look back for employee-based size standards from 12 to 24 months, and that's going to take effect one year after the act became effective. 
Section 864 amends various portions of the Small Business Act to increase the maximum award price for sole source manufacturing contracts to small businesses with such statuses as hub zone or small disadvantaged business status, and the maximum price increases to $7 million. Section 868 of the NDAA provides small business contractors the ability to elect on a going forward basis to rely on past performance, either from joint ventures that they were a part of or from first tier subcontractor experience that they have. And the act requires that the SBA issue implementing rules to put those changes into effect within 120 days. And then finally, section 869 provides that active participants in the SBA's 8A business development program as of September 9th, 2020, even if those 8A companies had suspended their status at that time, may elect to extend their participation for an additional year. And we are currently waiting SBA to issue regulations on an emergency basis to give effect to that part of the NDAA. Turning to cyber matters, Section 1739 requires that the DOD complete an assessment of the feasibility and resourcing required to establish a defense industrial base cybersecurity threat hunting program to actively identify cybersecurity vulnerabilities within the DIB. This section specifies that the assessment will evaluate, among other things, the threat hunting elements required for contractors under CMMC, including practices pertaining to continuous monitoring, discovery, and investigation of anomalous activity indicative of a cybersecurity incident. It also requires consideration of the suitability of a continuous cybersecurity threat hunting program as a supplement to the CMMC requirements that will consider or address such things as collection and analysis of metadata on network activity to detect possible intrusions, rapid investigation and remediation of possible intrusions, requirements for mitigating any vulnerabilities identified pursuant to the cybersecurity threat hunting program, and mechanisms for the DOD to share within the DIB malicious code indicators of compromise and insights on the evolving threat landscape. Finally, DOD must also consider participation of prime contractors and subcontractors in the cybersecurity threat hunting program. The DOD is considering procurement prohibitions for a contractor that is non-compliant with a future threat hunter program. And the extent to which a contractor may be required to participate in the threat hunting program may depend upon the nature and the volume of the CUI handled under any DOD contracts. So one other section relevant to cyber, Section 835 requires the DOD to develop requirements for software security criteria to be included in solicitations for commercial and development software solutions, as well as the evaluation of bids, and to also develop procedures for security review of code in coordination with other cybersecurity efforts. Great. And one other section we just want to highlight is Section 885. This provision, we suspect, is going to get quite a bit of interest and focus as it moves toward implementation. It requires disclosure of beneficial ownership in a database maintained by GSA. We suspect this will be SAM with information on contractors and grant recipients with federal agency contract or grant in excess of half a million dollars. The section closely resembles Section 6403 which updates some of the anti-money laundering reporting requirements. So this will focus on beneficial ownership, which is different from 
some of the disclosures that are currently required by SAM. There's lots more in the NDAA, including additional cyber, IP, national security, cost matters, but these are some of the highlights that Olivia and I wanted to pass along to our listeners. And with that, we will close out for this edition. This has been the Fastest Five Minutes brought to you by Kroll and Mooring. See you again in two weeks. If you have any questions, I can be reached at 202-624-2807, and Olivia can be reached at 202-624-2654. Thank you so much for listening, and take care. The Fastest Five Minutes podcast is brought to you by Kroll and Mooring LLP. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, and if you enjoy our show, please leave us a review. You can find more information at kroll.com slash govconpodcast. podcast.